This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Grant Collins will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. Today it is December 10th, We're recording on Friday. Markets have been up all week, actually, uh, despite the fact that inflation surged 6.8% in November, which is more than expected and the fastest rate since 1982. Um, you know, when you're you're excluding food and energy, CPI increased 4.9% in line with expectations, actually. Uh, so still seeing a little bit of commodity shock relative to other baskets of goods. But, but yeah, so, I mean, I suppose that's surprising. I think a big part of that was um, some kind of pent-up uh, demand after Omicron's turned out to be not quite as lethal as previously expected. But I'm not sure. What are your thoughts, Grant? I definitely think that's a big aspect of this, that we did see uh, a lot of volatility in the market since our last show, really mostly because of the Omicron variant. It, it was interesting. You see the media hear about the new variant, and all of a sudden we needed to maybe go back into a shutdown. You saw the markets react to it. Once we start to learn more about it, then all of a sudden it, it may spread faster than the Delta variant. But I think there hasn't been a single fatality linked to it. Not that they know of yet. And I think it's in around 38 countries. So if you're a couple weeks in, um, I feel like we might as well be freaking out about tetanus at this point. About <laughs> all the people stepping on needles. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I mean, of course, it's we've had a lot of variations to this. Um one of the things that you'll learn now that we're all amateur epidemiologists is that uh, viruses like humans want to survive. So as they progress, they become less lethal because Imagine they that. Yeah, <laughs> because when the hosts all die, they too die. So over time, you know, lethality typically decreases, which I feel is like not talked about enough either. But Absolutely. Well, we, we did see that with this new variant. But let's go back to inflation for a, for a minute here, Drew, because I do think that is top of mind. It was on the Bloomberg uh, Weekly on the front cover. It's, it's something that we've been talking about for months now. Really, <clears throat> I think a big one that's, that we just mentioned is, is energy prices. So they're up nearly a third, uh, 33% since November. Gasoline alone is up uh, 58%, which is a staggering number. Um, and then we do see that that number was the largest since the 1980s. Um, and you can see that those prices are being pushed down onto consumers. So we are seeing some some market movers, uh, Costco. So we saw their share price rise 6% today. Um, interesting to see that how they're going to be able to combat the rising prices because they will be uh, one of the companies I think that would be hit hardest with, with rising prices because they sell so much to so many people. Um, but one thing to be on the watch out there. Yeah, it, I mean, we'll, we'll, there's going to be the next few weeks are going to be pivotal when we're looking at the synopsis that we might be reaching the peak. I mean, some of the numbers that economists who are kind of on team we're going to see it slow down, inflation slow down. Is that you know when you're looking at West Texas Intermediate Oil, uh, like you mentioned, that's been up 52 percent in 2021, but that price has actually dropped 14 percent um, since its peak in November. Um, and I mean, yeah, unemployment is, 
you know, is is kind of running at its its lowest pace since 1969, um, which which is also can be inflationary, of course, too, right? Because we're almost back at full employment. Uh, I mean, we are functionally so. And another big warning sign, if we think about near the peak, is a low earnings yield. Uh, so if you actually adjust that for the inflation, so just because you have a high earnings yield, if you adjust that for the inflation to look what the real earnings yield is, um, we are actually have a negative, which often mm-hmm. is, a, is a precursor for a stock market slump. Last time the S&P had a negative real earnings yield was 2000, right before the tech bubble, um, and also happened twice before this, the stagflation in the 1970s and 80s. So we did just see that turn negative um, actually in June, but really it's sunk in the past few months as inflation, which we just mentioned is all-time high, is, is even higher. So this usually is a, a sign for a bear market to come. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think we should mention that so far from what we know is that the booster is providing kind of a high level of protection against the Omicron variant. Um, so Pfizer's doses and um, they're looking they're looking pretty solid. They show that a third uh, shot would, you know, shows virus fighting abilities comparable with the 95 percent uh, protection provided by these two doses. Uh, I'll sit for my booster on the 17th. So, but I got Moderna. Um, I, I'm not sure, but you know, it's the Cadillac. It's the Cadillac, right? So I'm just going with that. <laughs> we did see 60% of Americans now are fully vaccinated against the coronavirus. So uh, a lot of other wealthy nations have already surpassed that, but it seems like Americans are still getting shots in the arm, which which is a positive, I believe, if we want to really not have to worry about variants in the future, because if everyone's vaccinated and boosted, then we don't really have to uh, have to worry about that. Uh, we already mentioned it, but the Omicron appears to have milder symptoms, but, symptoms, but could spread more quickly and lead to future variants. It seemed like the markets really sh- shook this off, as, as you mentioned, Drew, earlier, that, that we did see the rallies over this week and VIX start to come down a little bit. Yeah. And for the 40 percent that, um, you know, have chosen not to get vaccines or or probably shouldn't because of medical conditions, right? The the ironic thing is having a low fatality um, variant like the Omicron might actually be a net positive as opposed to when people were being exposed to the Delta, which is more seemed to be a lot yeah. more deadly. So, yeah. One thing we should know is that labor productivity fell at the fastest rate in 60 years in the third quarter. Um, this is a key measure that Fed officials watch the productivity data because um, it's usually impactful on inflation. So large, low levels of productivity tend to boost inflation as companies are really forced to raise prices as units of, of labor costs. So the cost of, of those goods as well as their labor. So as we see wages rise, um, that is going to impact the profit margin. So that, that really is a big number that we see the Fed look at. And, and that decrease, we could see the Fed uh, begin to take actions more quickly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, on the year-over-year basis, productivity fell um, 0.6%. Um, it's the biggest decline since since the second quarter of 93. Some of the interesting analysis coming on Goldman, though, is uh, a look at productivity. One, they explain why it is harder to gauge. Uh, in the 90s, you know, there's a lot of discussion of hardware. The benefits of hardware are just a lot easier to identify. 
Whereas when you're looking at software, things like, you know, uh, upgrades, video games, you know, 2D to 3D, you name it, it's a lot harder to demonstrate how that, you know, impacts the vitality of the economy. Um, so, you know, Goldman's kind of synopsis is that, it, one, it's just hard to measure, but there's there's a lot of ways they think that we're actually going to see um, increased productivity now after this slump. Well, if you look at the, you know, the digital technology companies, the big Apples, the Facebooks and Google, Apple, you can look at their productivity because they're actually selling iPhones and MacBooks and um, that could drive productivity. Whereas if you look at Facebook, for example, a lot of their revenue comes from ads. So mm-hmm. how, how do you value that productivity? And it is pretty hard to determine um, and how much those advancements in technology, as you mentioned, software, even if you just look at the big leaps and bounds that we've seen as a lot of companies had to move to a more virtual office or virtual workplace with adding Zoom, adding Microsoft Teams, be able to communicate across the world. Uh, it really, how do you value that? So really, Goldman argues that the technology acceleration um, was, was happening before the pandemic, but we're really just looking at it and really how do we value this intellectual property products? And that's usually the hardest thing to evaluate when you're looking at companies is how do I evaluate the secret sauce of a service? Is it number of users? Is it number of subscriptions? Is it the cost of the subscriptions? Mm -hmm. Um, And so productivity used to be able to measurable how many cars are reproducing versus how many widgets we're producing versus now it's, it's a little bit different of a, of a economy. Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned the technological acceleration. I mean, Goldman's betting on three things, really. One is just a simple mean reversion, um, you know, with with declines of productivity that have slowed down on recent years. Just the natural tendency will be to revert back up. Um, kind of then the hard analysis, the second one being was that technological acceleration. We're seeing a lot more investment in intellectual property. Uh, and then third is economic dyna- dynamism, and that's just simply business formation, which has actually exploded um, recently, uh, which uh, which is kind of surprising, obviously, you know, in, in the pandemic. But uh, you're definitely seeing a lot more business formation. Well, many entrepreneurs saw an opportunity with the pandemic to, to open a new business. Also, rates are really cheap, so borrowing money is cheaper, so yeah. it could be a good time there. Uh, and a lot of younger entrepreneurs, this is a good time where they can fail, not having families where, that are responsible for them, where they, they, they could take an opportunity to fail. And more importantly, I believe that in this has pr- created more opportunities for digital uh, growth in, for, for these companies. Yeah. And with things like housing supply, we've mentioned things like lumber are more expensive, but with an influx of capital and like a lot of infrastructure projects, having low interest rates are great for shovel, shovel strategy uh, jobs as well. Absolutely. Let's change gears here, Drew. Let's talk about a term that you like to use a lot. The great resignation seems to be slowing down. Uh, the Corona pandemic has seen really people quitting their current jobs to, to record highs. Even though we in October we saw a decline, um, but the level is still 24% above where it was a year ago. Economists really see um, the exodus as greater job opportunities, trying to seek higher wages. Um, are we going to continue to see these high rates of quits and, and movement, Drew? Where do you think we stand on the Great Resignation? 
No, I, th- I think it's going to slow down. Uh, we already saw that job quits declined by 4.7%, falling uh, to 4.16 million from 4.36 million. Uh, labor's gotten a little bit tighter. Um, there'll be just less vacancies, which, uh, you know, really at the end of the day, I think this was a um, great resignation was just kind of spurred by just a pure number of vacancies. I mean, people had a lot of opportunity to shop around, um, you know, especially as we mentioned in the previous podcast amongst middle management. So, uh, yeah, I think that's that's slowly going to dissipate um, just over the course of time as we reach full employment. But. Well, people in lower status jobs really don't want to put up with the low pay, especially if, if they didn't have to. So that's one why we see a lot of the service industry jobs still not coming back. And then white collar jobs saw other other wages for jobs going up. So therefore, since they think that they are more valued, more skilled, that, that they didn't want to work the long hours and were looking for at least a pay bump if they were going to. And, and really, I think a big piece of it is that people over the pandemic have become lazier and a little more entitled, uh, to be completely honest. And uh, people think they're worth a lot more than they probably deserve. Uh, and now they're getting big paydays. Yeah. Well, you bring up retail, which is interesting. And I think it kind of highlights the fact that maybe having a two plus minimum dollar wage exemption on restaurants is not the most ideal because... If you're living on tips and people stop eating at restaurants, uh, I mean, you're, you're, you're done. You're yeah. done. So, and that's that's why I think we've seen, again, that's the most glaring example of quits, uh, obviously. Um, but yeah, I you know, I mean, you had functionally people recognize that their labor was the strongest it had been in a long time. And um, as a result, I, I think, or at least the initial belief was that's that's why they were kind of highlighting uh, or dropping out of the workforce to showcase, you know, that they did have some power. Um, but, I mean, the economists did some certain analysis on how great was the Great Resignation globally. It was very strong in American Britain, um, is what it seems like in, in you know, September, 4.4 million Americans quit their jobs, which is a record. And in and, and Britain, it was 400,000 people moved their jobs. Uh, but, you know, across the rest of the world, that certainly wasn't the case. It was kind of a unique outlier between us and Britain. I mean, in Japan, it's, it's virtually non-existent. Italy was just slight rises. Uh, you just didn't see it in much of the rest of the world. Well, the labor force and what's defined as the economist defines as the rich world is 3% smaller than it would have been without the COVID-19. Mm-hmm. So 3% is a deficit of about 20 million people. And if you think about globally, that really is, is, is not that much. Um, as you mentioned, outside America and Britain, there was really little sign of, of reflex of, of people quitting. That could be cultural. I, I think a big piece is, are we going to see this continue to emerge? And I don't think it because it would take a, a big culture change because households would need to decrease future spending, be okay with different levels of income, um, and then that could be less household appliances, less dining out, fewer Christmas presents for people coming up. Um, so really the the move, if you're going to be able to get higher wages, makes sense. But if not, and you're just going to be unemployed for a while, you need to be able to, to withstand the pain. Uh, 
But with, oh, with the high vacancies right now, it, yeah. it seems like a good time if you're going to make the move to move. I mean, consumer demand certainly there. We saw Black Friday sales. Um, through the roof. Yeah, through the roof. So, so yeah, I mean, the Brits, I mean, it's, it's different, right? Like so some of the British, it's more they're looking at lifestyle, whereas, you know, there are Brits who are right now willing to accept less pay for, for less hours. Um, whereas in the States, there's kind of still, there's still fairly high levels of employee engagement, just more or less measuring how satisfied uh, workers are. But yeah, I, I think in the States, the biggest thing obviously is, um, you know, wages not keeping up with inflation or really definitely not even, not even close to productivity over three decades. Uh, and that's kind of been a push comes to shove. Well, wages yeah. have been lackluster growth for, for years year now. And my entire lifetime. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Let's talk about the, the Fed upcoming meeting here, Drew, because it seems like it's going to be a big one as we look for 2022 forecasting. Some comments from the Fed officials suggested that the central bank will almost double their um, tapering of their, of their bond purchases. So I believe the number that was thrown around was 15 or 20 billion a month. Now they're looking at 30 to 40 billion mm-hmm. a month, which is pretty big because the, the Fed will need to taper those off before they would look to um, do a rate hike. So the faster that they, they do that, that could be a signal for a rate hike sooner rather than, than we think. The market right now and, and what we're hearing on the street is that June or July, most likely June is the earliest they would see a rate hike. But if we continue to see uh, the Fed continuing the pace of tapering off their bond purchases, that could be sooner. Um, but really, I don't believe we'll see our first rate hike in, until the summer. Yeah, I think we may see two next year. Um, people are pushing around the spring, you know, March, April has one. But uh, yeah, it's it's just really, they, they are starting to get some inf- pressure. Um, you know, the next three months are really gonna be pivotal to show, you know, what CPI looks like. Um, because you know, like as we mentioned early on the pod, we're we're still in seeing huge increases, especially in gas and food. Um, all some of that's starting to crater, but yeah, it's it's still still the highest it's been in decades. So, I mean, I, I just think they're going to have a lot of pressure to 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 jack up rates. Well, it's not just as you mentioned, just concentrated areas. It's now more widespread inflation. Mm-hmm. We're seeing the cost of goods, not just in energy, but uh, hitting households more and then also if you're looking at housing prices and rent i'm not sure how that's calculated into cpi but those are two big things if we think about the housing market continuing to soar and and that's just causing rent prices to continue to go up mm-hmm. no absolutely uh, anything else we should be talking about i think a big thing that to be on the lookout for is um fitch said Evergrande defaulted. So the rating agency is the first to declare the Chinese real estate developer that they had defaulted on their overseas bond. That could have a huge impact um, as it is really one of the largest real estate developers in China to see how the Chinese government may step in or um, if, if they just completely let it default, what that would have uh, for, for an impact since that is such a large global uh, company. Mm-hmm. Um, like to mention, like some companies, you know, when we're looking at the tech sector, uh, Oracle in particular, um, just had its earnings, uh, their shares rocketed 
15%. Got a solid outlook. So that's a firm to look at. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, we have a lot of stuff coming up in the end of the year. And we mentioned last week that uh, Congress is, you know, trying to wrap up Build Back Better in the next two weeks. Um, so so we'll see what that happens. Uh, they recently passed the defense authorization bill. And they uh, should mention they, they have once again avoided uh, a default uh, for the time being or not default, but, um, you know, a government shutdown. So. So, yeah, it's all things to consider as well. You know, coming what's coming out of the hill. Uh, I think we'll do one more week, everybody. And then after that, you know, we'll, we'll take a few weeks hiatus here with the holidays and everything. But, um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully, uh, you know, weather's good and everyone's doing all right. Um, we'll talk to you next week and we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WellFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WellFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WellFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WellFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.